Jacob Albrocht, Tommy Castor. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. And welcome in, everybody. Getting hyped up on a Monday. We wrap up the football week tonight with a little Monday night football. What a weekend it was. What a fantastic weekend if you're a Chiefs fan, if you're a KU fan, if you're a K-State fan. We'll get into all of it today here on a Monday edition of Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster, Jad Chambers producing for us. And we are ready to roll. Feeling good this morning, fellas. The NFL wasn't a bloodbath. We made a little money yesterday. How you feeling, Tommy? Feeling good, man. I, you know, there's just so much happening. We say that every single day, but man, this weekend was jam-packed and great if you're a fan of the Chiefs, the Jayhawks, or the Wildcats. I know we're going to get into all of them today. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun, fun weekend. We appreciate everybody who jumped on the BetQL app with us last night and, uh, and, and had some fun. And man, whew. What a what a weekend it was! It was it was fantastic. Uh, the football, the brand of football for all three of the the teams that you just mentioned was phenomenal. We're going to start here with the Chiefs. A lot to get to with KU. They've jumped K State in the rankings. They get College Game Day coming in. There's Lance Leipold developments. All kinds of stuff to get into with them. We'll go to them, and then at the top of the hour, we'll really lock into K State who. I think made another statement there, but a lot to a lot to get to in the college game. But let's start in the NFL. Another uh, interesting week across the NFL landscape. A little more predictable, I think, this week, Tommy. Which is why I think most of us made a little money this weekend. Finally, after just an insane first few weeks. But for the Chiefs, you can't ask for much more than what you saw last night. Yeah, you really can. And, and it was a little bit more predictable overall, the, the, the slate of games uh, that we saw yesterday in the NFL. Um, and, and really, even the Chiefs game, I think we saw Kansas City play to its full uh, full potential and full capability, which we clearly didn't see a week ago against Indianapolis. So, yeah, overall, just a lot of fun. And I really feel like we're starting to see some of these teams rise to the top a little bit, the ones that we expected to be towards the top of each division, um, really kind of show out and, and really make a make a claim that, uh, you know, they're the better teams in the league. And, and really, it does start with Kansas City last night in primetime. Yeah, I thought Kansas City made a statement. I thought Buffalo made a statement, certainly, uh, getting the win that they got and the way that they got it and, and you know, overcoming some early mistakes and an early deficit to get there. Um, there's, you know, there's teams in the league that, and, and, I, and I do think it's generally speaking, the same handful of teams that we thought it would be, right? Like we expected the Bills and Ravens to be there. Nobody thinks any differently of those two teams. We expected the Chiefs and the Chargers to be there. Um, the Chargers looked fine yesterday after stumbling the week before. The Eagles uh, took care of business again in bad conditions after getting down early. I thought that was one of the bigger wins of the weekend. Uh, the, you know, the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys are three. They're and back. One. They're, They're back. Three and one. 
I there was a point <laughs> after week one where I didn't know if they were going to win three games all year, and that's not I'm not it's not hard like me being a smart like I genuinely wondered. Now they've got a quarterback controversy, and they're three and one, and their defense is as good as we thought it would be. And okay, we're paying attention now. The Packers survived. I still don't think that the Packers are playing right now at a level that will get them where they need to be. We got to remember back to the Bengals and Dolphins, and we'll get to Tua's situation, uh, of course, later in the show as well. But I think when you look at it, the Chiefs are, are going to be at or near the top of most um, publications' power rankings. And it's really interesting. Yesterday, last night's game was was interesting, and I've thought a lot about it. You know, the Chiefs were well ahead and in control of that game. And I said this on the BetQL chat. Like, as soon as they scored that first touchdown, as soon as Tampa made that mistake and allowed the Chiefs to get ahead, it felt to me like the pressure immediately intensified on Tampa because Tampa's, you know what Tampa wanted to do to you know, in that game, was to come in and run the ball, keep the Chiefs off the field, do those all those kinds of things. But they couldn't do it because they got down early because of a couple of mistakes. And all of a sudden, they have six rushing attempts in the game for three yards. Man, that you can't play more into the Chiefs' hands than a game script like that. Make Brady throw it 52 times. Get to pin your ears back on a pass rush. Like, that was a perfect game script by the Chiefs. And as they made a billion mistakes last week, they were very uh, much sound and great on special teams this week. So, you know, if they played that game again, like today, I don't know that you could have a, you know, the game script probably doesn't repeat itself and it's probably closer. But, hey, the Chiefs went on the road and, and got things done. Yeah, Kansas City jumped out, you know, and had a complete 180 difference from a week ago. I mean, it couldn't have been any more different than what we saw in Indianapolis a week ago. And I think that you can really make that argument that this was a statement victory for Kansas City. This was something that they needed to get the bad taste out of their mouth from a week ago. And it just so happened that the opponent, you know, is Tampa Bay and, and Tom Brady. And, you know, I don't think it really honestly would have mattered who the opponent was. The Chiefs were on a mission last night and they punched the Buccaneers in the mouth early on. Uh, and that was exactly what Kansas City needed on both sides of the football uh, to, to really stay really stay focused and really be able to show that they they do belong at the top of the NFL that they are the cream of the crop in the NFL that's exactly what was needed there's been so many stories and and so many different narratives being painted about the offensive concerns for Kansas City and and we were we were some of those people playing into those narratives as well a week ago talking about well man maybe the Chiefs really do miss Tyreek Hill and maybe they really do have you know some big time concerns with the running game especially they put all of that to bed last night uh, that was a not only a statement game as a whole but that was a statement game for the the running attack for Kansas City as well you know 92 yards on the ground and a touchdown for Clyde Edwards Elair Isaiah Pacheco had 63 yards ran really really well and it wasn't just the backs it was the offensive line they had a run block win rate of 83.3 percent that's second best in the NFL for games played yesterday by comparison, and this is from Adam Teacher from uh, ESPN, the Chiefs had a 66.1% win rate in the run block last week against the Colts. So they improved that dramatically. The offensive line had something to prove. It was a letdown game a week ago, and they showed up and they were ready to play. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was really good. And, you know, Mahomes threw it 37 times. Didn't feel that way. You know, it felt like they were 
just going crazy through the air, but they weren't. They were very efficient through the air. Uh, Mahomes had that one really odd interception, but he was making Mahomes plays. But, yeah, they won that game in the trenches on both sides, and and that's that's great news. They I thought, again, I know the Bucks had 31, but I thought, again, the Chiefs' defense has looked really good now, four out of four times. Um, they're, they're doing things that get you excited. Yes, they gave up too many points, but again, the game script was, it was going to lend itself that way. When they got, you know, when they got out to big leads and did those things, you knew it was coming from Tom Brady in the Tampa passing game. But, you know, here we sit and things look pretty good. One of the other things, and you knew I was going to hit on this today, Tommy, but the rookies, Pacheco Mm -hmm. getting more involved, Sky Moore for targets, here we go. It's interesting. You know, four targets isn't a ton, but they had him, you know, going down on some big plays. Marquez Valdez-Scantling finally had some big plays. But four targets in this offense, I mean, Kelsey had 10, right, which he always will. But MBS only had five. Juju had eight. Juju's never going to stretch the field, so eight's probably a reasonable. So, you know, get Sky more four, five, six targets a game. And now I think he's a factor. So that was really good to see. Pacheco's got juice. Pacheco has juice. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has looked good this year. You know, I I think mixing and matching those guys is going to be good. It was interesting because McKinnon had looked the best and gotten the most snaps. McKinnon barely played last night. So I don't know that we're ever going to be able to predict what happens in the backfield. But the collection was effective, and that's really all that matters. Yeah, Pacheco reminds me a little bit of Kareem Hunt when he burst on the scene with Kansas City. Like that that initial violent sort of always churning those legs. Like that's that's who Pacheco reminds me of as that kind of back for Kansas City. And you mentioned the different rookies and Pacheco and, and more. On the other side of the ball, you can't not mention George Karloftis. I mean, he was super disruptive on the edge defensively last night for Kansas City. The stat line doesn't really show it as much, but he w- seemed like he was always in there and he was always battling uh, defensively. And and he wasn't the only one by any means. Legereus Sneed had an incredible game. And that, that one play where he came unblocked off the edge and forced the strip sack on Brady was incredible. Just the way that he kind of disguised that. And he even said after the game, yeah, like he was trying to mess with Brady by showing that maybe he was having some issues with his helmet or his gloves or something. And then just completely came around. Uh, unblocked and you know, able to to knock the ball away from Brady. So, you know, defensively, they showed that, you know, what they've been able to do as far as schemes and effort, that hasn't changed from week to week. That was the only bright spot from the Colts game a week ago. They continued that on against Tampa Bay. And I know you mentioned that, you know, they gave up 31 points. They did. You kind of figured that, that Brady was going to need to air it out after they got down early uh, like they did. But overall, I just felt like it was a, a complete... Uh, a complete game on both sides of the football for Kansas City and so many different individual contributors that uh, really, you know, I, I was impressed by what MVS was able to do. I was impressed by Juju, the way that he was involved. But then how about the tight ends? I mean, obviously, we know Travis Kelsey is going to go off. Noah Gray had uh, a touchdown run, which I think that everybody was sort of like, wow, where did that come from? And Jody Fortson had a touchdown catch. So, you know, even without Blake Bell, Kansas City finding ways to to scheme to get their tight ends open and get the ball in their hands. Um, that's going to bode well moving forward. Yeah, Blake Bell will help the run game too, um, if and when he's you know able to get back and and do those things. So 
Yeah, it was – I want to jump back to the defense. Snead, of course, had that big play. I was a little surprised they didn't get to Brady more. I, th- I was actually pretty impressed with uh, Tampa's pass blocking, especially when you when the Chiefs knew that they were going to be able to, you know, rush the passer quite a bit. So I did think Tampa's, you know, offensive line in that regard did a good job. And I do think that the Chiefs ultimately are going to need to – get the quarterback down more often than they did yesterday. Uh, in a game where Brady throws it 52 times, you got to have more than one sack. So, like, for, you know, there was some pressure, but you got to get him down. In a game like that where they're airing it out, you have to be able to end drives with a sack. And and I bring it up more because it's been a problem, you know, more holistically over the last couple of years than that game because they were getting pressure and it felt okay, but they got to be able to sack the quarterback. Right, they have to be able to sack the quarterback. It's too much of a part of what they do because there is too much of a chance that games get like this. When your offense is that good, and you force the other team to air it out that much, and they can start scoring a little bit just just by necessity, right? You you put teams away and put your your foot on their throats by sacking the quarterback and being disruptive. I I didn't think they were quite disruptive enough, knowing and seeing that Brady had to throw it fifty two times. I think you're right. And, you know, they, they kind of backed off from time to time. Like you would see, you know, Spagnola call a blitz a couple different times in a row and then sort of back off and drop back in coverage. And, you know, I, I think that the more that the the defense realized that Brady was going to have to air the ball out, at that point you would have probably liked to see a little bit more adjustment to get try to get more pressure on him. But at the same time, it, it what, they, what they did defensively seemed to work for the most part. It got a little too close there towards the end and I'm sure that's something that will need to be you know tweaked a little bit as you as you move on especially as you go into a divisional matchup on Monday Night Football in a week against the Raiders but overall though you know I want to go back offensively and talk about that run game and talk about that offensive line we talked uh, you know last week about so much build uh, bulletin board material for Kansas City and you know of course Shaq Barrett's comments really fueled the fire about the offensive line not being good for Kansas City um Really, I think, though, what was so interesting about this game and looking at the final stats, I'm not sure anybody would have predicted the amount of success that the run game would have had for Kansas City. Tampa Bay, their run defense all season long, incredibly stout. They held their first three opponents to, on average, under 80 rushing yards per game, under four yards a carry, and they hadn't given up a single rushing touchdown the entire season. And then you look at what Kansas City did rushing the ball against Indianapolis a week ago, and it was pitiful. You know, 23 carries, 58 yards, two and a half yards a carry, not good. So you you look at that on paper, you're like, well, there's no way that Kansas City's run offense is going to work. I've got Clyde edwards Lair in a fantasy league. I put him on the bench. I'm like, I, there's no way that he's going to be able to do anything in this game. And that's not the way that things turned out. 37 carries, 189 yards, over five yards a carry, two rushing rushing touchdowns, Uh, just the way that they were able to find those holes and really exploit the Tampa Bay rush defense. Um, I don't think anybody saw that coming. I certainly didn't, but I'm, I'm super happy that it ended up the way that it did. And I'd like to think that that's something that can continue. Yeah, we'll see. You know, the Raiders, they stepped up their run defense yesterday, and that's who comes on a long week for Monday Night Football next week. Um, you know, the Broncos lost Javante Williams at a point. So, but before that, the Raiders had been vulnerable there. So we'll see. We'll talk to Dan Israel about it tomorrow 
executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network for his weekly visit. We'll you know, talk a little bit more about Tampa and, and look ahead to the Raiders in what becomes a relatively big game because the Raiders are still playing out of desperation. Um, it's in Kansas City where we know the Chiefs have had a lot of success. So that's an interesting one, I think, uh, to, to look into. So we'll do all that with Dan Israel tomorrow. Uh, your thoughts on the Chiefs, 869-1240 is the number to call. Plenty of time to get into it today uh, and throughout the week. We're going to shift to a little college football. It's been a wild, wild month and change for the Kansas Jayhawks. All eyes are watching now. And in some cases, that might not be a good thing. We'll talk about it next on Sports Daily. Tommy, how you feeling? How you feeling right now? KU looking pretty good here as we jump into the AP Top 25, uh, depending on what you look at. Big time game. They jump K-State, which I know will make uh, KU fans happy. That was quite a weekend. Quite a weekend up there in Lawrence. You were there. How was it? Oh, man. The atmosphere incredible two weeks in a row you know sellouts at uh, the booth and homecoming and all the festivities and you know me Jacob like I'm a glass half full kind of guy I'm an optimistic guy I like seeing the good in things I'm gonna start glass half empty though if I can for just a second with Kansas that was a a poor offensive effort by the Jayhawks um, from pretty much from start to finish outside of the second quarter when they put up all 14 of their points. Um, that was not good. Now, credit to Iowa State's defense. Uh, they looked pretty solid throughout the course of that game. Um, but you've got, you know, a guy in Jalen Daniels who is potentially a Heisman candidate. At least there's been chatter about that through the first four weeks. And he's 7 of 14 for 93 yards. Really doesn't get an opportunity to throw the ball a whole lot. He only ran the ball eight times scrambled for nine yards. He had, he did have a touchdown, but really other than that, just was not able to get loose throughout the course of the game, but thank goodness. And here's where I go. Glass half full. Thank goodness for the Kansas defense. And this is a defense that you and I have talked about so many different times about how are they going to be able to show up? Um, Is that the Achilles heel of this Kansas program? They held Iowa state to 11 points. And there are so many different things about this game and about the way that this program is being built right now that um, I think we can we can discuss. But first off, it's got to be how electric the defense played in this game, and we really needed to see that. Yeah, look, they. I, I'm with you on that. Iowa State, you know, I didn't know how to read Iowa State's defense because Baylor put up 31 on them in Ames, but before that they'd given up 27 total points. So they had been one of the best defenses in the country. It's why they continued to get, you know, Vegas continued to lean their way. Um, we didn't buy it as them as a favorite in Lawrence, but they they looked like they could hang, and we'll see. They're going to get tested again this week, right, in, you know, welcoming in K-State to see what that offense can do against them. But I thought, here's what I thought. I didn't know how Iowa State was going to keep up with Kansas offensively, and I think the reason that, that win impresses me so much 
is because they had a little adversity offensively. I mean, that game singularly might take Jalen Daniels out of the Heisman race. Like, it was that bad. I get it, right? 93 yards passing, and, and just it wasn't good at all. I understand all that. But if the reality is they won a game where they maybe shouldn't have won it, and they won it on the back of their defense, you got to see those kinds of things for teams to be really, really good. And and that I do think big picture is going to end up being better for this team that they know now, man, when we got to have it, here it is. It didn't seem like going into that there was going to be a defense that could slow them down offensively, but now we know that that is possible. And for that reason, it's even more important that they get a good game defensively when they've got to have it, and they got one when they had to have it. And they, listen, in magical seasons, Tommy, magical things happen, and that was an odd win, but it was a win in a game that they easily could have lost. And that's okay. That's okay because they got the love that they needed now, and they jump into the top 25, and they do all the things that you want to see them do because now you've got a top 20 showdown in Lawrence in front of college game day coming, and that's fantastic. That's what you want. Does it, you know, does it kill Jalen Daniels in his Heisman race? Maybe. It might. I mean, it might. But that's okay. Because if they keep winning, that may enter him right back into the picture. 100 times out of 100, the Jayhawks lose that football game in the last decade plus. Like, from last year all the way back to 2009, 2010. In that same scenario, there were so many different times that Kansas tried to lose that game. I mean, from from penalties to just an inept offense. And and I don't I don't necessarily put it all on Jalen Daniels. Yeah, he had a hard time getting it going in that game. But I thought the play calling was pretty conservative, uh, especially in in the second half and late in the game. Um, I was not a fan of that necessarily. We've seen such a dynamic offensive you know scheme from uh, from the Jayhawks over the first four weeks. And, you know, here they are just basically trying to run the ball up the gut. There were some questionable play calls, one of which uh, resulted in a fumble and, you know, a big time injury from Daniel Hyshaw, which was unfortunate. And I, I didn't understand why they ran the ball in that situation at all. Uh, but that's beside the point. The bottom line is they tried to give the, the game away multiple different times and they still found a way to, to win. And that's not what we've seen from this Jayhawks program in years past. They, when they give opponents an opportunity to win the game that the opponent typically goes out and wins it. And that's not what happened on Saturday. So I'm with you. I mean, I agree that th that shows a lot of resiliency. It shows a lot of gut and a lot of heart from this Jayhawks team. And they wanted it. They wanted to get into the top 25. They wanted an opportunity to bring game day to Lawrence and have that national exposure. And they end up facing a TCU team that really, I think, I don't want to say they came out of nowhere, but they've got a new coach in Sonny Dykes who's building something there uh, in Dallas and or in Fort Worth and, um, you know, comes now to Lawrence and they're a ranked team as well. It's going to be a big time matchup. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting because there's not a team now that opened more eyes than TCU. And I've been saying this, and and I didn't pick them, and I should have. I've been saying this, man. And the problem for me with TCU is I've only seen just a little bit of them. But when I did see them, I was like, holy crap, they are fast, man. They fly to the ball on both sides, like offensively and defensively, they can fly. And now everybody is paying attention to TCU, right? And the Big 12 continues to look good. Oklahoma stumbled, and, and TCU really took it to them. 
But, you know, a win over SMU. You've got Colorado on the road, which isn't spectacular, but now the Oklahoma win at home. Now they got to come on the road. They're they're right there with Kansas. And, and you know, it's, it's funny to me. Kansas at home now is six-point dog. And I get it. TCU had maybe the biggest win of the week, and Kansas feels like it survived. But Kansas is absolutely going to have to play better offensively if they want to beat TCU. Um, I mean, there's no question that they'll have to because TCU is going to score. TCU is going to score a lot, and and Kansas can. I, I still like Kansas on the money line here. I still like Kansas to win the game, but this is going to be tough because they they have to quickly figure things out offensively. And what I don't really know about TCU, like I, I genuinely don't know, and we'll ask Brian Haney about this later this week. I don't know how TCU is defensively, right? That's that's the big question for me: is is how good are they defensively? But I know they're going to score, and Kansas is going to be able to is going to have to be able to score to keep the pace of that game. Which, again, until Iowa State, we had seen them do right better than really anybody in the country. So I wouldn't say I'm concerned about it. But the the big unknown to me is TCU's defense. I really don't know what to expect out of them. Yeah, I don't either. And you know, I I I realize that there's been um, there's a lot of talk in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex about Sonny Dykes coming over from SMU, taking over that TCU team. But I, I've watched SMU over the years when, when he was the coach there and typically had you know pretty solid offenses. And so you know I feel like he's sort of bringing that, uh, that creden- those credentials over to TCU a little bit. And yeah, I, I certainly, and I don't think any of us really thought that they would just blow out Oklahoma with you know the way that you know OU um, and Brent Venables has been kind of a, de- a defensive guy over the course of his career. The Sooners have had two really, really poor defensive outings and back-to-back weeks last week of course against the Wildcats and and this last week against TCU um, so I, I certainly didn't think that TCU could hang the number of points that they did on Oklahoma but that certainly means that you know that the Kansas defense that did a really really good job in creating turnovers and really you know getting the Iowa State offense off the field on Saturday they're gonna have to even you know turn it up even more against TCU this weekend if they want a chance to win yeah, I, I, this is going to be a game we really I, I got to think a, a lot about and and really talk to people too and and listen to what the coaches are saying. I I can't tell you how excited I am for KU fans. First ever trip to Lawrence. I mean that for ba- for football anyway. They obviously are there for basketball all the time, but that's a big deal, man. It's a big deal. You're selling out the booth. It's a big deal to get college game day to come there. It's an even bigger deal to get them to skip. Texas, Oklahoma, you want to talk about wave the Big 12 flag right now? I mean, can you can you even wrap your head around? Now, think about a, this scenario that I present. Think about you, Tommy Castor, sitting here on September 3rd, not October 3rd, and I'll present this for you. Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12, and it has been catastrophic. They're leaving. They're going to the SEC. They're these two mega powers that have all the money and all the viewership and all these things and all the, you know, their ratings driven and everything else. But on October 3rd, they'll get shunned and pushed to the side for the big TCU Kansas showdown in Lawrence. That's where all the attention's going to be. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. That's awesome. 
it's like an alternate universe. Um, I think I want to take your scenario and take it a step further. What if I told you that on October 3rd, when you're looking ahead to this coming weekend's games, all of the big 12 matchups that are happening on Saturday, every single one of them feature at least one ranked team in the AP top 25, except for the Red River rivalry with Oklahoma and Texas. Neither one of those two teams are ranked, but every other Big 12 matchup has at least one, if not two, ranked teams in their matchup. It's just, it's like we're living in bizarro world. Yeah, it's the the Big 12 on the field is going to be so much fun, even without Texas and Oklahoma, because you got to remember the other teams coming in that'll all be really good too. Um, Real quick before we get into Lance Leipold's now even more frightening scenarios Oklahoma State I have thought has is the best team in the Big 12 I I think that they have backed that up now and we'll get into Kansas State in a minute because I think they belong in the conversation but Oklahoma State looks like uh, they're really good does Oklahoma State seem to you Tommy like a team right now that could get into the playoff yeah I I think so and I mentioned it on Friday when we yeah when we were picking you know our our games um, I feel like all Mike Gundy has done is kind of quietly build um, a, another top elite program in the country without really a lot of discussion about it. Like, I feel like they... To be fair, they haven't played anybody until they just went to Baylor and won, which I thought I mean, they'd I do. Shocked. I told you guys I was betting the money line yeah, there. But I, Central I Michigan, too. Arizona State, and Arkansas Pine Bluff were their three wins before Baylor. I just feel like, you know, at this point, Mike Gundy and the Cowboys should maybe get the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Like, you know, you, you see they passed the totally eye test, agree. even even though they, they didn't really play uh, anybody leading up to the Baylor game. Come on, it's Oklahoma State. And, and we know we know what Mike Gundy can do down there. Spencer Sanders um, ha, has looked pretty good to start the season. And, and the ninth year I started. don't know. I I really I really felt like he I really felt like Oklahoma State was was disrespected by being an underdog at Baylor. Um, and they they flat out proved that they were um, you know disrespected in that in that way. And, and yeah, I absolutely believe that they are the best team in the big 12 right now as it stands and they've got a pretty good shot to make the playoff. Totally. yeah, I, I, they absolutely were disrespected and it and I get it. They were disrespected because they hadn't played anybody, but they were disrespected. That line was so bizarre to me. It was as bizarre as Baylor being an underdog in Ames the week before. Um, but, you know, that I, it, if you really follow the league, which we do, we know how good Oklahoma State is because history tells us how good Oklahoma State is. Oklahoma State has been the most consistent team in the league, hands down, and it's not close, right? Outside of Oklahoma and, and its run at the top for so long. But, you know, besides Oklahoma basically being a playoff contender every year, Oklahoma State's always the most consistent Big 12 team. And they've been on the field incredible as a football program. And and here we go, and, you know, they've got, listen, their grind comes now, right? Now that they're in league play, they don't play West Virginia till the end of the year. So they don't get one until the end of the year. Throughout these weeks, they're going to get tested week in and week out, and we'll see. But I, I, I was impressed with their win, as I thought they would do. But, the, you know, it was a pretty cozy win there down in Wake. And I do think Baylor's good, by the way. I don't think there's a knock on Baylor at all. I think Baylor's going to be in the mix. They're good. And Oklahoma State got it done. But 
Kansas, Kansas State keep getting it done as well, and and they're hanging right in there in the Big 12, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been so much fun that it's uncomfortable because Lance Leipold now is rumored for everything, and we had an opening yesterday that Mm. is even more frightening than Nebraska. That's where we're Mm. headed next. We'll talk about it. Sports Daily, K-State fans hang. We're going to get to K-State at the top of the next hour. We're going to leave plenty of time for the Wildcats as we roll through a reaction Monday here on Sports Daily. Sports Daily is on KFH. Wisconsin, Tommy. Wisconsin's open. Uh oh. If you didn't know if Leipold was going to be interested in Nebraska, which he, of course, was, he's going to be interested in Wisconsin. The history at Wisconsin, Whitewater, obviously. Uh, Paul Christ fired yesterday. Ooh, boy, this is getting interesting, and it's getting hairy, Tommy. And Wisconsin's probably a school more inclined, even than Nebraska, to just kind of wait until the end of the season. This is... I think Kansas will have the appropriate amount of time to try and get the deal done, but this one's this one's worse than Nebraska. <sighs> yeah, I mean it is. Uh, look, uh, the the more that Kansas continues to win, the more that Leipold uh, continues to grow his profile nationally. Uh, this is the sort of thing that is to be expected. Um, you've got like two jobs here that. I don't know. I mean, I've not talked to Lance Leipold, but I would venture to guess that both Nebraska and Wisconsin would be dream jobs for him. Um, his history at both locations. He was a grad assistant at Wisconsin in the early 90s. Uh, and that's even apart from everything that he did at Wisconsin Whitewater for a number of years and and turned them into a juggernaut. And then he was at Nebraska for a handful of years. Uh, his wife is from Nebraska. So he's got connections to both universities. Make no mistake about it. And um, the thing about Wisconsin is that it is significantly less of a dumpster fire than what Nebraska currently is. It is significantly less of an overhaul than Nebraska is. It is significantly less of a rebuild than Nebraska is. And so for those reasons, yeah, I think that every Kansas fan should at least recognize that the that one of the byproducts of this success that we've seen from the Jayhawks is the fact that you've got some big-name schools that are going to be coming after your head coach. And both of these openings, Leipold has connections to. Ah, Man, they got to just get it done, right? I mean, that's, it's that simple now. You just got to back up the truck and get the long-term big deal done. And is it really that crazy at this point to do that? If you believe that he's going to get you a stadium built, if you believe that this current version and era of KU football will get you a new stadium built, and that new stadium, who knows what sorts of possibilities that might open up for the university. Well, everybody just put your fingers in your ears. But what if that helped you get over to the Big Ten, right? Like, what if this success could get you into that sort of 
TV revenue, which we know is on the table in that league. I, I think they got to just you got to go super aggressive here, and make it happen. Is there any risk in this is, you know, lightning in a bottle and could fade? I, of course there is. Of course there's risk in that. But being bold has got to be the play here. I, I don't know what else to do. I do think that either of those jobs are more after-the-season kind of jobs if Lance Leipold's involved in the conversation. But they're very real. And the more that Kansas does now, the more that those schools can have conversations with Lance Leipold's agent to be like, dude, we'll pay you. 10 million a year you know what i mean like they, they, so there's there's a lot of risk in waiting there's a lot of reward in moving fast i i just i kind of think it like if you can go get it if you think it's going to build a stadium and you think you're close to that which they wouldn't have hired less miles if they didn't think they were i think you got to get bold and get quick here or or the longer this sits the more and the more success they have the easier it's going to be for either Nebraska or Wisconsin to pay a boatload of money to pry him away. I can tell you right now that athletic director Travis Goff has deployed everybody that he can possibly deploy in his staff to make phone calls to all of the big money donors. He's working the phones right now too, trying to to try to get this done. I mean, you got to you got to get it done now. And you mentioned like, is there a risk that this is lightning in a bottle? Sure, there's a risk, but I don't think it's a high one because of what we talked about in the last segment. The fact that Kansas won a gritty game and a game that in years past they absolutely would have lost. That's a culture thing. That's not just a talent thing. That's a culture thing, a program thing that Lance Leipold is known for and that he builds and that he will continue to implement at whatever school he's at. And so, yeah, I think there might be a risk that, you know, there's always a risk, but I don't think it's that large of one to where you hold off and you say, well, let's wait and see how the rest of the season goes. You got to get it done. Now you've got to ride the wave of that momentum with the new stadium deal and, and all of this stuff, the, the, the realignment. I mean, this is crucial right now for Kansas to get this right on top of the fact that the fan base, the donor base, they're weary. They're weary of another coaching search. You've got to lock up Lance Leipold right now. Bruce Feldman, we've referenced him a few different times from Fox Sports. He, yeah, I know that, and I don't know what kind of relationship he has with Lance Leipold or Leipold's agent, but he tweeted about Paul Christ being let go at Wisconsin last night. And he mentioned, and this, it was a thread of tweets. So I'm just going to read uh, the last one right now. So Jim Leonard is the interim coach at, at Wisconsin. He could very well end up being the permanent head coach when the season is done. But this is the final tweet from Bruce Feldman in this thread from last night. He goes, if you're a Nebraska fan, you might want to root for Jim Leonard to win almost all of those seven games so the Badgers don't try and hire Wisconsin native Lance Leipold before the Huskers could. So that wording is interesting to me because the way that that reads to me is that Leipold's going to go to Nebraska or Wisconsin. I don't know that. Again, I don't know what kind of relationship Feldman has with Leipold, but that wording was odd to me. It's, it's, it goes Leipold's way, too. Like He's got to be willing to accept a big deal if Kansas can get it on the table. Yeah. right? Again, I've said this from the beginning. I, I know Leipold doesn't want to talk about all this, but he could easily end these conversations if he wanted to by saying, I'm absolutely not interested in those jobs. Because he seems like a man of his word, right? Like, we'd believe him if he just came out and said, I don't want those jobs, I'm staying at Kansas. I will not take those jobs. 
He's not gonna. He's not saying that, right? Like we know he's interested, or he would say that. And and he should be interested until he gets a new deal because they'll you know triple his pay and right. they're great in his story. You know, Wisconsin, the difference in Wisconsin and Nebraska right now to me is 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 a you know a gap the size of the Grand Canyon. Wisconsin's a great job, top. I mean, I don't know if it's a top ten job in the country, but it's probably a top fifteen job in the it's country. A great job, it's a great job. So I you know I I I just you've got to, it goes both ways. Leipold has to want to stay and they've got to be able to do what they can do to get him to stay. If he doesn't, which is a very real possibility that I think we all just sort of need to get our heads around, right? By the way, Iowa's struggling too, K-State fans, so we're not immune to this either on that side of the situation with Chris Kleiman. But if that happens, because if it happened to Kleiman, I think K-State fans would be like, okay, just promote Colin Klein. Easy solution, Right. And I think Colin Klein has shown enough in the recruiting world and the coaching world now that you'd feel fine about that. Do you feel fine about that with Kotelnicki at this point after seeing the Iowa State game? I don't know anything about Kotelnicki. I didn't know who he was before probably week two of this college football season. So I don't know. But is the replacement there? He's the guy we'd all look at, right? Yeah. So I don't know. And and the other thing is, like, a lot of these players for KU that are really good are less Miles guys, too. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's the same situation in Manhattan and Lawrence. I do think there is more to prove out of the KU staff than there is the K-State staff. Can you just yeah. hand the reins to Kotal Nicky if this thing goes I, sideways and Leipold leaves? I don't I don't know yeah. the answer to that right I, now. I think I think you have to. I think that is the number one place that you look at if Leipold leaves Kansas because for one word and one word only, stability. You have to have stability in your program. And having a br- another nationwide coaching search is not what the Jayhawks need right now. So that's what I would do um, if Leipold were to leave. But regardless of the situation, Travis Goff, I mean, rest assured, the Jayhawks are going to offer Lance Leipold a new contract. And hopefully it's a new contract to where he will retire a Jayhawk. That's what Kansas fans should want. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not Leipold will accept it or if he'll look at it. Yeah, elsewhere. he's got to take the Time offer, too. Like we, we all just assume if they put an offer on the table that he'd take it. I think that right. was the case for the Nebraska yep. job. I really do. I don't know that that's the case for the Wisconsin job. Like this – look, we're, we're assuming things, and, and you know the old saying about assuming. But I got to <laughs> assume that is his dream job. Like Wisconsin yeah, is number one of one, right? So, ugh. Here we go. Just keep winning games. These problems will solve themselves one way or the other. KU fans, enjoy it. You got college game day next week. Here we go. Let's go to K-State. Let's go to Manhattan. Talk the Cats because they're, I I, I don't know if I want to say quietly, but I think it's relatively quiet because of what's happening and all the attention going to Lawrence and their turnaround. I I feel great about K-State's chances to win the Big 12. Let's talk about that next as we'll break down the Cats' big win uh, over the weekend against Texas Tech. It's all coming up for you on Sports Daily.